What's good, Penalty Box Radio fans? This is Sam Fleming, contributor and broadcaster for Penalty Box Radio, and you're listening to the first episode of the Outside Smashville Podcast. Picks it up again. He's going to have to hurry here with five to go. Over the line. Reader drops it. Ekman Larson. He shoots. He scores. <laughs> Oliver Ekman Larson. He does it again in overtime with point three remaining. Incredible finish tonight in Glendale. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is great to be here with you on the very first episode of the Outside Smashville podcast here on Penalty Box Radio. I'm excited about this. Thanks for tuning in here on this Friday, November the 22nd. I'm your host, Sam Fleming, contributor and broadcaster for Penalty Box Radio, and very excited to be hosting the Outside Smashville podcast, the very first episode of many to come, as I look forward to bringing you some great content throughout the the year and throughout the remainder of the season for both the NHL college hockey and the GNASH high school league. So what is outside Smashville? You might ask if you haven't heard my previews that I do on the Predators games. Outside Smashville is going to be a really cool podcast where we focus on everything outside of the Nashville Predators. Uh, I'm going to talk about the NHL still and the other 30 teams in the league currently and also touch a little bit on the uh, Seattle expansion team that's coming into the league very shortly when that comes around. Uh, we're also going to touch on the NCAA Division One's only team in the South, the uh, UAH Chargers, and most importantly, some ACHA club college hockey, as we're going to have the commissioner of the SECHC on a couple times, and the lead for Penalty Box Radio, Mr. Justin Bradford, uh, to talk about one of the big tournaments coming up here in February the SECHC tournament at Ford Ice Center Bellevue, February 7th through the 9th. If you haven't been to Ford Ice Center Bellevue, I would fully recommend going to check it out. It's a fantastic rink. Well done by the Nashville Predators. And speaking of Ford Ice Center Bellevue, the other topic we're going to talk about on outside Smashville is the G. Nash High School Hockey League in the area. Again, I'm a coach uh, for Franklin Hume Fogg, BGA, an assistant coach with uh, head coach Todd Gross and other assistant coaches Josh Frizzell and Jack Charles back behind the bench. But it's not just going to be about Franklin Hume Fogg, BGA, We're going to get all of G-Nash involved on this podcast. I'd like to get some of the players on from other teams and some of the coaches as well to talk about G-Nash, get their thoughts on how their team season is going. And I also want to get you, the fans, involved. As I mentioned during a tweet and during my um, previews most recently, I want you guys to use the hashtag OutsideSmashville.com. 
to get involved in the podcast. The last segment of each podcast, uh, we're going to answer your fan questions. I've got one for this week, but one that's a really interesting question that I do want to get into that relates not only to the topic at hand, but just the NHL as a whole this season. So I'm very much looking forward to discussing that question at the end of this podcast. And again, if you want to get involved uh, throughout the podcast, use hashtag Outside Smashville uh, to get your questions. And you can follow me on Twitter at SamFleming10. I will post a link, uh, a tweet where you can ask those questions down below in the comments. So. What's on tap for this episode? Obviously, as I mentioned, fan questions are going to be the last segment. I do want to address the uh, Mike Babcock firing uh, that happened on Wednesday as he was relieved of his duties from the Toronto Maple Leafs. But first and foremost, I want to get into a trip that I took most recently. Uh, A family trip that ended up seeing a hockey game in person. That's correct. Can't get away from hockey wherever you go. But the Arizona Coyotes are going to be the main focus of today's podcast. I went to a game at the Gila River Arena back on November the 7th when the Arizona Coyotes took on the Columbus Blue Jackets. The Blue Jackets ultimately came away with the 3-2 win in that game. And I'll get into the action that happened uh, during that matchup. But I do want to give some background on the Arizona Coyotes, a team that was relocated to the Arizona area, a really interesting place to put hockey, but it has seemed to grow as a market much like Nashville has. Again, um, really want to get into some of these teams that are in some areas that you wouldn't expect the NHL to be as popular as is. So, Let's get into some brief history about the Coyotes. They are in the Western Conference. Currently, they're in the Pacific Division, uh, a very tough Pacific Division currently in the NHL with multiple teams really doing well in the Pacific Division. The Western Conference in general has been tough this year. The Coyotes find themselves currently sitting second in that division with a record of 13-8-2 after 23 games played for 28 points. They sit three points behind the Edmonton Oilers. So the Coyotes been a little bit of a sleeper to start this year, but uh, a very good team, a very talented team with some really good talent and depth on that uh, on that roster. They were founded in 1972, but they weren't in Arizona originally. Uh, the Coyotes were actually the old form of the Winnipeg Jets. Now, the new iteration of the Jets came stemmed off the Atlanta Thrashers. The Coyotes stemmed off the older form of the Winnipeg Jets. The Jets uh, came to the NHL in 1979 and were in, uh, in Winnipeg until 1996. The 1972 through 1979 team was in the old WHA, the World Hockey Association, uh, that ceased to exist in 1979, which saw the Jets come into the NHL. And then in 1969, they rebranded and relocated to Glendale, Arizona, uh, where they became the Phoenix Coyotes and wore those famed Kachina jerseys, some uh, former players that were on that team. Uh, You had uh, Keith Kachuk, who has two sons currently in the NHL. Um, 
So that was one of the notable players that donned the Kachina jerseys. Honestly, the Kachina jerseys are pretty cool, if you ask me. One of my favorite alternates in the league. Um, and then in 2014, they rebranded from the Phoenix Coyotes to become the Arizona Coyotes, just to account for all of Arizona. Uh, their arena, the Gila River Arena, located in a cool area down in Glendale, they're actually right next to where the Arizona Cardinals of the NFL play at State Farm Stadium. So you got two of the big sports teams in the Phoenix area in Glendale uh, just right next door to each other, which makes for a fun trip uh, to Arizona. Their main jerseys and colors, the brick red is the main color with a desert sand color in the Coyotes logo and the color black. Their main jerseys, their desert, uh, the brick red is the home jerseys with a road variation being white, mainly with the features of the black, the brick red, and desert sand. And then they obviously brought back the really cool Kachina logos, which is actually an Indian tribal logo, um, which is pretty, uh, it's a unique jersey, but it's really cool to see as all when I was down there, all the Coyotes fans uh, were wearing those jerseys. And I think it's great that they brought them back. They have two alternate goal horns as well. You might have heard the lead-in song, Baby, I'm Howling for You by the Black Keys. That's actually their goal song on Saturday. So Kachina Saturdays is where they wear those Kachina jerseys. Um, they have Werewolves of London playing, and then they have Howling for You that plays after that. Uh, their head coach is Rick Tockett, who was a former assistant coach to the Pittsburgh Penguins. He moved to the Coyotes. He's done a really good job with this franchise, kind of getting them back on track to being one of the front runners in the Pacific Division and a team to keep their eyes on in the NHL. Their captain is known as OEL or Oliver Ekman Larson, number 23 for the Coyotes. Um, a really good defenseman, a very sound defenseman. A lot of rumors back when his contract was up that he was possibly going to be moved, but he got an extension and stayed very loyal to the Arizona Coyotes. A great captain and a great leader uh, for that franchise as well. So their minor league affiliates, they actually have their minor league uh, team very close by. The Tucson Roadrunners are their AAHL affiliate just in Tucson, Arizona. And then their uh, ECHL affiliate is the Rapid City Rush, who are in Rapid City, South Dakota. So a little bit of distance uh, between them. But again, the Tucson Roadrunners and the Rapid City Rush are the affiliates of the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, in terms of history with trophies and banners in the arena, this team does not have a Stanley Cup win, a conference championship, or a President's Trophy. However, they do have one division championship in the Pacific Division uh, in 2011 and 2012. That spectacular run the Coyotes actually had to the Western Conference Finals that saw them beat the Chicago Blackhawks, the Nashville Predators, and then they faced off against the eventual Stanley Cup champions, the LA Kings, who went on to beat the New Jersey Devils uh, in the Stanley Cup Finals. So, that's just a little background on the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, their top three scorers on the team currently are Nick Schmaltz, who has four goals, 14 assists for 18 points in 22 games played. Connor Garland, 
uh, 22 games played, 10 goals, 4 assists for 14 points. And uh, Clayton Keller, who was a very promising talent uh, that was in the Rookie of the Year race a couple of years ago, 23 games played, 4 goals, 9 assists for 13 points. Some other notable names, they have Phil Kessel, uh, who they added in the offseason in exchange for Alex Galchenyuk. So a very good player, uh, an all-star, to say the least, added to this Coyotes team. Uh, he's got 13 points in 22 games. I mentioned Oliver ekman Larson as well, their captain with nine points in 23 games played. They have some really good goaltending lately, too. Darcy Kemper, uh, who used to be kind of a backup uh, goalie for teams like the Minnesota Wild and the Los Angeles Kings, has turned himself into a really good starting goaltender, goaltender number one for the Coyotes. Nine and five in 14 games played with a 1.85 save, uh, goals against average and a .937 save percentage. They have Antti Ranta, who was a backup to Henrik Lundqvist for a few years under the New York Rangers. In eight games played, he is 4-2-2 two, two with a 2.69 uh, goals against average and a point. 922 save percentage. So some solid goaltending options for Rick Tockett and the Arizona Coyotes. But I do want to get into my experience that I had on November the 7th. So uh, at the Gila River Arena, a very different arena from most NHL arenas that you see, it's only two uh, two levels tall. There's only a 100 section and a 200 section. And uh, one of the problems that the Coyotes have had in the past, not only with ownership and general managers, is they've had attendance issues. Um, it's in Glendale, Arizona, just outside of Phoenix. So not really in the downtown Phoenix area, just in a suburb outside. But... The night I went to the game, I was actually pretty impressed with the crowd. Even though it wasn't full, there was still a lot of really good energy from the crowd. The howling throughout the arena, that was pretty funny. I loved how the fans would get into the howls and start chanting. They even brought some of the Predators chants with them as well. Uh, that's 30, Cellbot 303 did, but... I will say that watching the Coyotes this year than Coyotes teams in the years past, it's definitely a better team to watch, but it started out pretty quick with goal, a goal just seconds in uh, from Gustav Nyquist in that game, and that building got pretty silent pretty quick. But then they brought the energy back into the arena, and uh, Carl Soderberg actually got a really nice goal that got the crowd back into it. Uh, and then Jacob Chikrin got a goal for the Coyotes as well. So it was 2-1, to one, and Arizona was actually looking really good in this game that I saw. They were moving the puck well. They've got a really fast player uh, in Michael Grabner. Some people might have seen Grabner play. He's got a really good set of hands, but that guy's got some wheels on him as well. Uh, he was moving really uh, really fast. He actually set up Chikrin's goal to take the 2-1 to one lead. But shortly after that, it was all Columbus to end the game. Uh, Emil Bimstrom got his first career NHL goal for the Jackets um, and tied the game at two heading into the intermission break, the second intermission. And then Oliver Bjorkstrand got the game-winning goal uh, to seal the 3-2 to two win for the Blue Jackets against the Coyotes. Arizona didn't play a bad game at all. 
I thought they actually were pretty strong in that game. They just couldn't bury their chances. Uh, and Grabner had about two, two or three breakaways uh, that he should have scored, but just really couldn't find the back of the net. And I, I mean, their goalie, uh, Jonas uh, Corposalo, was solid in net for the Blue Jackets. He actually had uh, 30 saves on 32 shot attempts, only giving up two goals. Darcy Kemper didn't play bad either. He had 30 saves as well on 33 shot attempts, so both goalies looked really great in net that night. Uh, Phil Kessel had a really good chance to tie the game with the extra attacker pulled. He just fired it wide of the net. I think uh, Arizona actually had a power play towards the end of that game. Uh, Chickard had a goal, Grabner with an assist, Vinny Henestroza had an assist, uh, Lubishkin had an assist, Ilya Lubishkin, quite a weird name, <laughs> had an assist for the Coyotes, and Carl Soderberg with the other goal. Uh, Gustav Nyquist had a goal and two assists for the Blue Jackets, uh, so three points for him. Oliver Bjorkstrand with a goal and an assist, Cam Atkinson with an assist, Bimstrom with the uh, goal, his first career NHL goal. Pierre-Luc Dubois with an assist. And former Predator Seth Jones with an assist as well. But the real question I think most of you are asking when you're tuning into this podcast here on Outside Smashville is, what's the experience like for a fan that's maybe not a Coyotes fan that just wants to see a hockey game while they're in Arizona, or a traveling fan who may be looking to go on a road trip uh, to see their team play. I had a fantastic time at the Gila River Arena. Me and my parents both, uh, me and my parents, uh, we all had a great time. Uh, tickets were very reasonable. I think that's the one thing about the Coyotes is they don't quite have the fan following of a team like Chicago, like Nashville, like Toronto, Tampa Bay, where the tickets are really high priced right now. But I think it's good to have reasonably priced tickets because that starts to bring fans who maybe aren't as big a fan of the NHL or the sport of hockey in an area that's not well known for hockey to try to get them to come out to games and try to attract them uh, to the market. Because I will say with the Coyotes on the rise, there's a lot of people that will start getting interested in going to games at the Gila River Arena. And I've got to say, even though it wasn't a full arena, that crowd brought a lot of energy that night. Uh, we sat in the lower bowl in Section 108 in the attack twice zone. Uh, saw a lot of good action down there from both teams and both goalies. And I think both teams played a very good game, and I thought the Coyotes played pretty well as well. I ended up actually buying a Kachina t-shirt. Uh, their brand, much like Nashville has the Smash brand, uh, is State 48. Uh, because State 48, Arizona was the 48th state in the United States, so pretty cool to see that. But a really cool shirt uh, in the Kachina uniforms as well. Um, and I think it's great for the Coyotes to try to bring back the fans of the original Coyotes team when they went through those tough years after their Pacific Division run um, in 2011 and 2012 to try to get hockey to grow back in Arizona. Again, Austin Matthews, who is the number one pick in 2016, uh, came from Phoenix, Arizona. So there's hockey 
players and hockey fans down in that area, it's just not as big as these original six markets or markets that we've seen growing uh, lately in the past few years. But I do think with the talent that team has and guys like Oliver ekman Larson, Phil Kessel, and uh, Clayton Keller, and even Vinny Henestroza, who's kind of become a really good player for them as well, and Jacob Chikrin. Uh, this team's definitely going to get a good following here coming soon if they continue to succeed. Again, sitting second in the Pacific Division, uh, they actually fell to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Again, a team I'm going to touch on in my next segment here of the Outside Smashville podcast. Uh, but they're getting better as a team, and they're getting more fans to follow. So my verdict is if you're looking to go to a road game or you're in the Arizona area and you can get a reasonably priced ticket, I would recommend definitely going to the Gila River Arena and checking out the Arizona Coyotes because it's a different experience. Fans are starting to learn hockey in that area, and those are the very passionate fans that have been there since day one. But there's a lot of new fans coming to Glendale to see the team play, and I think that's great for hockey because these markets that aren't necessarily well-known in the NHL they're starting to grow. And I think you look at Tampa Bay. They had that Stanley Cup win against a team from Canada in the Calgary Flames in 2004. Kind of shocked everybody that a team from Florida won the Stanley Cup. And now you look at the Lightning. They've got a lot of great players, and they've got a great fan base. You look at Nashville. I know I'm not really touching on Nashville as much since I'm considering this the outside Smashville podcast. But again, the Stanley Cup run really helped them to get a stronger fan base and more people to follow the team. And you look at the original Sticks teams, where hockey's been around forever. Those fans have stuck around even through their team's toughest times. I know fans don't really like Chicago as much, but you have to give credit to the fan base there. They really stick behind that team and go to games no matter the results. So, my verdict, if you're in the Arizona area... I would recommend going to Gila River Arena to check out the Coyotes, whether you're traveling to see your team play on the road or you're just in the Arizona area. It's a great experience. I had a lot of fun just seeing hockey from a different side, from a different market. That's what I enjoy about going to different teams' arenas. I've been to the Columbus Blue Jackets Arena, Nationwide Arena. I've been to the Dallas Stars Arena, uh, American Airlines Arena. I've been to Tampa Bay's Arena, uh, the the Amelie Arena, and I've been to Gila River Arena, the Arizona Coyotes Arena. And all of them have been unique experiences outside of Nashville. And I've really enjoyed getting to see that because it's cool to see from different fans' perspectives and different fan bases how they love the sport of hockey. And that's the great part about the NHL and getting to go to these games as a fan. So would recommend if you are in the area, go see the Arizona Coyotes play. It's definitely a fun experience, definitely a reasonably priced experience. We got three lower bowl seats for about $32 a piece, which is a really good deal to sit down that close to the act. So I'd recommend definitely checking it out if you are in the Glendale or Phoenix area. So that's my thoughts on the Arizona Coyotes and my trip to uh, Glendale and Phoenix. Had a great time down there. But next up, we're going to touch on the Mike Babcock situation and him being fired from Toronto and what this means for the Maple Leafs moving forward. Again, I'm Sam Fleming. You're listening to the first episode of the Outside Smashville podcast here on Penalty Box Radio. 
walking through the streets of Soho in the rain. He was looking for the place called Lee Ho Fuchs. Gonna get a big dish of beef chow mein. I give credit to the Coyotes, man. Both their goal songs very catchy. I've found myself repeating them a bunch, whether it's uh, Werewolves of London by Warren Zavon or Howlin' for You by the Black Keys. Pretty good goal songs. Pretty catchy, to say the least. But again, back to the point of Outside Smashville. Again, welcome into the very first episode of Outside Smashville here on Penalty Box Radio. Again, I'm your host, Sam Fleming contributor and broadcaster for Penalty Box Radio. You might have heard some of my previews that I've done for the Predators games throughout the season, both uh, previews and recaps, and I really want to say thank you for all the support from all of you that follow Penalty Box Radio, and just thank you for the support of Penalty Box Radio in general, and I've got to give a big thank you to Justin Bradford, who's the lead over at Penalty Box Radio, for giving me the opportunity to join this great crew of uh, of members on Penalty Box Radio to talk hockey, and it's great to see how many people love the sport of hockey around the Nashville area. So again, thanks for tuning in to this first episode of Outside Smashville. Definitely can't wait to do uh, more in the future, but let's get to a new topic at hand, and one of the biggest uh, news stories in the NHL uh, this week on Wednesday Mike Babcock was fired from the Toronto Maple Leafs, a team that was struggling. And funny enough, they got back on track with Sheldon Keefe, their interim head coach, and actually beat the team I just talked about in the Arizona Coyotes um, on Thursday night. So um, I wanted to talk about the Babcock firing. I did address it a little bit in my preview of the Vancouver Canucks and Nashville Predators game. Um, which was a tough loss for the Predators. But Babcock took the reins of the Maple Leafs in 2015 and 2016 after being fired from Detroit uh, 10 seasons as the Detroit Red Wings head coach. He was the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim's head coach from uh, 2002 to 2004. Um but Babcock, very successful with the Red Wings. He won a two Western Conference titles and a Stanley Cup championship in the 2007-2008 season. And it's hard to believe with a guy that's as notable as Mike Babcock, you're only saying that he won one Stanley Cup uh, in his tenure with the Red Wings. He does have another Western Conference title when uh, back in 2002-2003 with the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. Uh, funny to say the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim, now they're the Anaheim Ducks. But um, So, Babcock's career in Toronto, uh, I wanted to touch on that a little bit. He was 173 and 133, 173 wins, 133 losses, and 351 games uh, behind the bench for the uh, Maple Leafs and 43 overtime losses, or 45 overtime losses. Um, 391 points in those games total, uh, which is 55.7% points uh, that they um, were able to grab of points possible as the coach for the Maple Leafs. 
The staggering number is the playoffs for Babcock. 20 games behind the bench, 8 wins, 12 losses, and a .4 uh, win percentage, or 40% uh, win percentage as the coach of the Maple Leafs. Zero playoff series wins. For a guy that they threw quite a bit of money at, in Mike Babcock. Again, he was such a successful coach, even though in Toronto or Detroit, he only won one Stanley Cup and had two Western Conference titles. He led that team to playoffs, I think, every year he was the head coach. And that's pretty impressive. And he signed an eight-year deal worth $50 million, 6.25 per season, making him the third highest paid coach in the NHL. And Toronto didn't win a single playoff series. Think about that. And the talent that the Maple Leafs have had is impeccable. Austin Matthews, the first overall pick in the 2016 NHL draft. A generational talent. Mitch Marner, who just signed a big contract this offseason and has been a key part of Matthew's success. William Nylander, who was pretty solid in his first couple seasons with the Maple Leafs. But then a contract hold out and just seems to not have flown well under Mike Babcock's system. John Tavares, who left the New York Islanders to go back and play for his boyhood team and is now the captain of the team. Morgan Riley, who they've got a fantastic contract on as a defenseman. And he's a really good defenseman. He's gotten a lot better uh, since he was a rookie. He's really started to climb his way up as one of the best defensemen in the NHL. They added Tyson Berry this offseason, one of Colorado's best defensemen. Jake Muzzin, who's a good depth defenseman. Freddie Anderson in net, or Frederick Anderson, they call him Freddie, who's a pretty solid goalie. And you can't win one playoff series? I see the frustration from Toronto fans. When you throw $6.25 million per year at Mike Babcock and you don't win a single playoff series, that's frustrating. And I think you look at a guy like him who's had success in his career as a coach, a Stanley Cup champion, a three-time Western Conference champion, And he goes to Toronto with so many high expectations. And in the five years that he's there as a coach, he he just doesn't get the job done. And Toronto was a very successful franchise as an original six team. They had so many great players roll through there. You got guys like Matt Sundin, most notably, who was their legendary captain. Alexander Mogilny. They had Ed Belfour. The Eagle, 
who was a great goalie. And sorry if Maple Leafs fans are uh, listening. I'm not as knowledgeable on the Maple Leafs as uh, in the past, but I do know some players. Uh, Tim Horton. Tim Hortons, you might know the name of the uh, coffee shop. A legend in that franchise as well. But, you know, they were in a downturn towards the end of Sundin's, uh, Sundin's era there. They had Phil Kessel as well in that franchise. Um, but when they got guys like Matthews and Marner and Nylander and then added Tavares... Morgan Riley back on the point, and then adding Tyson Berry, Alex Kerfoot, and then you know Jake Muzzin, and then they got a guy in Frederick Anderson after struggle years with James Reimer and Jonathan Bernier in the net. There was a lot of hope for this Toronto team to really get something going and possibly capture another Stanley Cup with this core. And when you watch them, they even added Patrick Marlowe for a couple years to be a veteran leader. And that line with Marlowe, Matthews, and Marner was fantastic to watch. I had a blast watching the Leafs with those with those three playing together. But they couldn't get to the ultimate goal, let alone get past the first round. Let's go by Babcock's years here in the playoffs. The first season with Toronto didn't make the playoffs. That was to be expected. You know, 2014, uh, 2015, 2016, he didn't have Austin Matthews just yet. 2016, 2017, a very young and up-and-coming team. They still make the playoffs. Uh, they end up going 2-4 and four in their first-round series. 2017-2018, Matthews' second year in the league. That core is really starting to come together nicely. William Nylander factoring in as a piece to the puzzle. They lose in seven games to the Boston Bruins, which was, which was tough for the Maple Leafs. And I think many people give them grief um, about that. And then last year, same thing happens. Deja vu all over again. They lose in seven games to the Boston Bruins. The Bruins have just had their number over the past few years. They lost to the Capitals in that 16-17 series. Boston, in the past three series that they've played against each other, they've gone to seven games and they've blown the seventh game. And again, Babcock's been there for two of them. But I'd like Toronto fans to really chime in on this because they know better than me. They're closer fan base, closer fans to that to that team. But as just a fan of the NHL and another team and watching the Maple Leafs play, they have great regular seasons. And then when it comes playoffs, there's something that just didn't click under Babcock. And I think Babcock's a fantastic coach and will definitely find himself in another NHL team's bench. Who knows? Most likely, I would think, with a big name like him, it probably wouldn't happen until next season. But who knows? He could become a coach of a team that possibly gets desperate enough 
to fire their head coach that might be struggling, maybe want to pull what St. Louis did, although St. Louis just named an interim coach from their coaching staff, and just sort of see him back behind the bench this year. I think you'll see Mike Babcock back behind the bench, no question. But does what he did with a team that is as stacked as Toronto, their top four players lock up most of their cap, and they still can't get past the first round of the playoffs. And I and I think Sheldon Keefe, as the interim coach, he can bring a lot of potential to that team. And maybe they'll start get going in getting going in the right direction. Again, they got a win last night against the Arizona Coyotes to get back on track. And I, I really think the Leafs have the talent to do it. It's just disappointing for the fans under a great coach like Babcock that he really couldn't handle the talent that he was given and misused guys like William Nylander, who's a phenomenal player. They're paying over $6 million per year, and he's just not producing. So I think it was a good move for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It'll be good for the future, but I do expect you'll see Mike Babcock back behind the bench. Anyways, I just wanted to give my brief thoughts on that NHL news about Babcock being fired from the Toronto Maple Leafs. When I get back, I'm going to answer the one fan question I had tweeted with hashtag Outside Smashville. Again, if you want to get involved in next week's episode, I am going to put out a tweet on Monday um, with the topic that I'm discussing and also using the hashtag Outside Smashville. You can send your tweets or your posts on Facebook to um, Penalty Box Radio or my page using hashtag Outside Smashville. But when I get back, I'm going to discuss that question again. Sam Fleming here with you on the first episode of Outside Smashville here on Penalty Box Radio. Once again, happy Friday, Penalty Box Radio fans, and thanks for tuning in to the very first episode of the Outside Smashville podcast. Again, touching on the air, my trip to Glendale, Arizona, and Phoenix, Arizona, to see the Arizona Coyotes play the Columbus Blue Jackets back at the start of the month, November the 7th, and also touched a little bit on the recent NHL news, the Mike Babcock firing from the Toronto Maple Leafs as he was relieved of duties as his head as head coach of a team with so much talent and so much potential but unfortunately just couldn't get it going under Babcock never won a playoff series in his 5 years as head coach of Toronto but I do want to get into the one fan question that I had and one that I really want to discuss not only on the topic that it was tweeted about but just in general with the NHL this season. Uh, Again, if you want to get involved in future episodes of Outside Smashville for the fan question segment, which I'll do at the end of each show, whether you want to talk about the NHL outside of the Predators, just around the league, you want to talk about college hockey, whether that be NCAA, ACHA hockey, or the SEC, HC, 
Uh, like I said, I hope to have Commissioner Justin Bradford on a couple uh, couple times this season uh, to discuss the SECHC and the tournament that is coming up very very soon, February 7th and the 9th. If you're in the Nashville area, it will be at the new Bellevue Rink uh, over there. A great facility. If you haven't checked it out, make sure to go check out Fordyce Center Bellevue. Uh, but use hashtag Outside Smashville on my tweets or Penalty Box Radio's tweets uh, to get your questions answered. But the one question that comes in is from A.L. Puck on Twitter. He goes back to an incident that happened not too long ago uh, on Saturday the 16th, uh, November 16th, between the Colorado Avalanche and the Vancouver Canucks. Do you think the Matt Calvert injury forced the refs to blow the whistle should force the refs to blow the whistle more quickly when a player goes down? Maybe have the linesman intervene in the middle of the play. Hashtag outside Smashville. So very much thank you for your question. And I don't want to rant really on this situation, but it's something that needs to be really addressed by the NHL, in my opinion. That play where Calvert got hit in the face and was down on the ice for quite some time and the Canucks managed to get a goal on the board and you saw Nathan McKinnon was furious after that, that should have been blown dead instantly. And the officials did a poor job handling that situation. Anytime a player gets hit in the face, I don't care who has possession of the puck. Whether it's the other team or the team with the injured player, you have to blow that play dead for the concern of the player that's injured. You don't know. It could be just a cut or a bloody nose, or it could be something more serious. You you don't know what, what happened to that player. And in the case of Matt Calvert, he got hit in the face and was down on the ice. And he was down in the middle of the play, and he could have gotten hit again, you know, if a player tried to shoot the puck. And I think it, I think it's disappointing with the NHL and those officials that handled that situation because Vancouver got a goal. Who knows? That could have cost Colorado the game. They ultimately won in overtime 5-4, to four, but it could have gone a different way. You don't know. And with Calvert being down on the ice, and who knows, he could be bleeding, he could be seriously hurt, he could have a concussion. You have to be smart as an official, and I agree with him. I think if the linesmen see something like that, they should definitely get involved. Because it's about player safety. Hockey's a tough sport. I've played it. You know, I've been playing since I was four years old. And I get it. You're going to get bumps and bruises. You're going to take pucks up high. You're going to get cut. But when a player stays down like that and can't get up, you've got to blow that play dead and let the medical team come around and give that player proper treatment. Matt Calvert's. For sure, you definitely needed to give him treatment because he was he was struggling. I don't think he even really attempted to get up because he couldn't. And I I will say, watching the NHL this season, I think the officiating has been very questionable in the league. There's been a lot of missed calls that have cost games in all the games I'm watching. 
There's been players who've gotten injured. You go to the Calvert situation. They haven't blown the play dead. You know, he's staying down, and it leads to a goal. And I, I will say the officiating has not been at its best this season. And sure, you're going to have questionable calls throughout the NHL season. You're going to have poorly officiated games. And officiating is not really the biggest determining factor of a game. But still, you've got to ref the game as best as you can. And this isn't even the team I follow. You know, this is a rival team in the Central Division. But you've got to make sure the player's okay. And I'm sorry, you know, Canucks fans, even though you got the goal, the health of Matt Calvert in that situation is more important than continuing that play. I don't care if the Canucks had the puck or the Avalanche had the puck. That should have been blown dead instantly. And I even go back to the Dante Fabro uh, injury that he had up in San Jose. They didn't blow that play dead right away, and he was bleeding pretty badly. They let the, the Sharks possess that puck for a little bit in the offensive zone. And then the Preds touched it up, and they finally blew it dead. But like I said, if a player's not getting up, no matter who's got the puck, you, you've got to blow that play dead. And you've got to be concerned about his safety and his health first and foremost. So again, thank you to AL Puck for that question. Again, sorry to ramble off a little bit. But again, hockey's a tough sport but you've still got to have concerns about player safety. And in that case, I think the officials were in the wrong. And I do think whenever a player does go down like that and doesn't get up, you've got to blow that play dead right then and there for the safety concerns of the, of the player and of the, of the team in general. So again, my thoughts on the Matt Calvert issue, a big thank you to AL Puck for the question. Again, if you want to get involved, use hashtag outside Smashville, uh, throughout the week before every Friday podcast to, uh, get involved. One last thing I do want to touch on, um, is coming up here, a big time deal for college hockey in the area. NCAA Division One hockey coming to Smashville at uh, Fordyce Center, uh, Bellevue. We've got some really good teams coming to town for the Country Classic here in Nashville. Uh, the number one ranked team in women's college hockey, Minnesota coming to town. Number two, Wisconsin is coming to town. Number six, Boston College is coming to town. And uh, number nine, Harvard coming to town. So some really good women's college hockey coming to town here in Nashville. Um, I'm very excited. I'm actually going to be at the tournament working it a little bit for Penalty Box Radio. Uh, so I'm excited to see some of the top teams in women's college hockey coming to town. Uh, it should be a fun time. Uh, at Ford Ice Center. If you're in the area, I would fully recommend Ford Ice Center Bellevue uh, Friday, November 29th and Saturday, November 30th. Uh, definitely want to come out and see it. You can get single game passes for $15 and a full weekend pass for $50 as well as D1 Women's Hockey. The game schedule is as follows. Friday, November 29th at 1 p.m. Uh, number one, Minnesota
Minnesota takes on number six, Boston College. Uh, and then at 4.30, number two, Wisconsin takes on number nine, Harvard. And then on Saturday, November 30th at 1 p.m., number two, Wisconsin takes on number six, Boston College. And then number one, Minnesota takes on number nine, Harvard at 4.30 p.m. Central Time. So that is uh, next weekend, November 29th and 30th at Ford Ice Center Bellevue. The Country Classic Women's NCAA Division I Hockey Tournament comes to town. Very excited to be working that with Justin Bradford and crew for Penalty Box Radio. And if you're in the area, I'd fully recommend coming out to see some college hockey in the area. It's going to be a great time and a good time to check out Fort Ice Center Bellevue. So again, I really do appreciate everyone's support here on Penalty Box Radio, whether that be my previews and recaps for the Predators or this very first episode of Outside Smashville. I'd love to get your feedback on uh, what you guys want to see talked about on outside Smashville with other NHL teams, uh, college hockey, and the G. Nash High School League. Again, going to start having some guests on very soon uh, to talk about certain things, whether that be related to NHL, college hockey, or G. Nash. So again, very much thank you, uh, very big thank you to Justin Bradford for allowing me to come on uh, Penalty Box Radio and share my thoughts with uh, the Predators and hockey in general and you, the fans, for your great support uh, on all of our pages. You can follow us at Penalty Box Radio on all of our social media platforms and at PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Check out our website there. We have some great articles uh, from all of our reporters and uh, contributors on the website as well. Uh, make sure to follow me on Twitter at SamFleming10 again to see all the updates on the Predators and outside Smashville as well. But again, thank you for tuning into this first episode. Look forward to week two. It's going to be a pretty interesting topic I'm excited to discuss next week. So thanks for tuning in to Outside Smashville. Smashville, and I hope you have a great rest of your Friday.